Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. It is Friday, February 26th. My name is Owen, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Pretty well. A little groggy. One of my favorite bands had an album drop last night, so I stayed up till midnight to listen to it, well past midnight listening to it, and then it was heavy enough that I think the adrenaline was going to keep me up a little more when it ended. So little... I, I don't even really remember listening to it because I was still half asleep at that point. So a little out of it, but nice to have some new music to get into for a while. How about you? Pretty good, man. I, I didn't sleep perfectly, but it happens night to night. And uh, interesting that there's still being music created. I, it just feels like there's been a bit of drop off in music production unless your name is taylor swift and uh yeah so it's i don't is is that like have other bands kind of in your genre been releasing or is this kind of the first one in a while no i mean mo you've got nothing but time on your hands i feel like you can't tour so what else are you going to do other than write and record i think the recording process is a little hampered like this one architects they wanted to go to Australia to record, which couldn't happen. But I mean, Bring Me the Horizon had a huge album out in October. I guess it's technically an EP, but and I think they're right back at it recording. So no, I in my neck of the woods, the releases I think have been pretty on schedule as normal, if not a little more amped up. Hmm. Interesting. It will be crazy when bands are allowed to tour again and events open up like i think even as soon as this summer in the states at least there are going to be major events that happen i just think each one of them's afraid to be the first one uh but at some point there's going to be a major music event that happens this summer and it is going to be absolute chaos well tomorrow marks um a year anniversary of the last time I was at a concert which is just hard to imagine and I feel so lucky I got that one in because in hindsight like 10 days later (laughs) and that that tour was canceled that I saw and like everything was just getting scrapped so I it's hard to think it was only a year ago and I miss it so much and yeah as I I don't know what's going to happen with vaccine passports. We up here in Canada seem to be like we're going to be one of the last first world countries to get enough vaccine to be able to book tours. So maybe there's going to be a lot of envy watching at like all these shows get booked that go through the U.S. that would normally come through like Toronto, Montreal that won't be vaccine passports are a thing like find my way to Europe for some fests. I don't know. But yeah, I really miss live music and I I cannot wait to go back. That's one of the biggest between like that and bars. Those are the two for me. I cannot wait for live sporting events. And that is what we have on tap for people today. And uh, the return of baseball happening on Sunday, spring training uh, is underway, at least the training portion, not the gameplay portion. Uh, we've also got combat corner lined up some NBA talk, some NHL talk, uh, and finish up with a couple notes on champions league this week, but, uh, we will jump right into Dunedin, Florida, where the Toronto blue Jays have opened up a new player development complex, which 
looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, the pictures look great, and it's going to be an opportunity for them with this already pretty deep farm system that they've created these last couple of years to get access to better facilities, better resources, uh, better nutrition. And so hopefully this is another step on the path of trying to become another team like the Tampa Bay Rays or the, the Los Angeles Dodgers who are so great at developing young talent. Uh, so this is an important step for the Blue Jays. But really, I want to talk about some of the storylines coming out of camp uh, before they get underway. Uh, they play the Yankees on Sunday uh, in their first matchup, and who knows where that will be broadcasted. Hopefully I can try and find a stream of it somewhere if, if it's not being run by Sportsnet. Uh, but looking forward to watching this this new team with so many high hopes uh, get underway. The high hopes have been illustrated by the guys. Bo Bichette, one of the first quotes he had coming out of camp was, this season is trophy or bust. And while I love the mentality and I love the expectations being set by these young guys, my expectations aren't that high. <laughs> uh, they barely squeaked into the final wildcard slot last year. They are playing in a super, super tough division in the AL East. Um, I think they definitely have a shot to make the playoffs, and I think they probably should make the playoffs, but there are still quite a few question marks that would give me hesitancy before saying they're a surefire uh, playoff-bound team. And so some of the questions going into this season about whether they'll make the playoffs, I think the biggest one is the rotation and less so the bullpen, but pitching as a whole is something the Blue Jays really have to focus on. The rotation projects to kind of be Hunjin Ryu, uh, Tanner Rourke, Nate Pearson, and then you've got a mishmash of Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, Stephen Matz, Trent Thornton, all guys who either will start or come out of the bullpen. And that kind of back end four fifth starter will something will be something that the Jays will have to figure out right now in spring training uh, and which of these guys will a, have the length uh, and have the conditioning to be able to give them multiple innings to start a game, or B, who is just going to be the most consistent guy and, and give them the best stuff night to night because they have shown in the past they're willing to throw a guy out for three innings, two innings, and then go to a long relief guy out of the bullpen just to give teams a different look as an alternative to just throwing out a fifth starter who might just get blasted against a, a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the, or the Rays. So that will be something to look at. I think the bullpen's a little bit more solid. We had a bunch of guys who stepped up yet last year who are still back. Uh, guys like Julian Merriweather, Ryan Barucki, uh, Anthony Kay, uh, Thomas Hatch have been long guys. And then you've also got Wagus Pack and Zoik who can give you some innings out of the bullpen. And then our high leverage guys, Jordan Romano was a revelation last year. Canadian kid, uh, pitched really well. Rafael Dolis takes the longest time ever between pitches but he's very deliberate and he was solid for us uh and then you've got Dave Phelps Tyler Chatwood and AJ Cole uh two of those guys they picked up in free agency this offseason and then AJ Cole solid uh so hopefully they can the guys who were successful last year can continue some of their success and these new guys can come in and and bolster the bullpen and, and give different looks um, the main young pitcher I want to talk about, there's a really long feature article in Sportsnet a couple of days ago uh, on Simeon Woods Richardson, who is this highly touted prospect who uh, we got in the Marcus Stroman deal uh, when we traded him to the Mets. 
And this kid has been rising rapidly through the minors and he's got incredible stuff. He's been going at Alejandro Kirk uh, in training last season when they were on the taxi squad and or when they were on the minor league squad, bubble, whatever it was that they were doing last year. Uh, and, and this season, his goal is to make the team. And I think he's going to start in double A. So those are pretty high hopes for him. But if he doesn't make the team at a camp or throughout the season, he'll probably be a late September call-up. And this kid just like reading that story and, and seeing some of his tape, he is completely dominant and he's going to be so fun. Once he comes out of the, the pipeline, him and Nate Pearson project to be two of the best young studs in, in pitching and baseball. Uh, he goes right at guys. He doesn't throw he, or he throws a ton of strikes. Uh, he's super composed, super fiery. He says he models his game a little bit after Stroman. Uh, he loves to work just a really fiery competitor who's pretty calm and collected off of the field. Uh, and I'm just really, really looking forward to see his progression and getting to uh, see him a bit in spring training. Cause that's the time when you get to be the most excited about all these young prospects and, and see what they can do. Uh, moving off of pitching uh, and into the position players, what, are the physical improvements that we will see from these young guys. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, apparently in an interview told, through his translator said he lost 42 pounds this offseason. Uh, so the kid has slimmed down, which makes it a possibility that he might play some third base. Uh, Charlie Montoyo said that he's going to have Kevin Biggio play in third, which was an interesting uh, tidbit to come out of camp. But Vladdy, if he can slim down, it's going to be really important for him because he, the 162 game season is very different from this last season that was only 60 games. It's a much longer grind. It's going to be harder on your body, on your legs. And Vladdy was saying he was he was feeling it was tough for him to run bases and hang out in the field for long extended innings. And so by working on his weight and bringing up his conditioning, he's going to be able to work through the long drags of the season. And that's going to help him at the plate as well because he'll just be feeling a little bit sharper, feeling a little bit more coordinated when he's at the plate and feeling less of the effects of fatigue. Uh, so I think just all the way around, uh, really looking forward. He came in shape to spring training last year. And then of course, we know what happened. Everything shuts down. When they finally resume the season, he's put on back a ton of that weight. So this is his second opportunity to really slim down and show everyone what he's got because he's been passed by some of his peers, like a Juan Soto and a Fernando Tatis, who we talked about last week, who got paid the big money. Those are all guys of similar age with similar expectations, and he's fallen a bit behind them. And I think it really motivated him to get in good shape, and hopefully we see a monster season from him uh, this year. You don't uh, think the weight helps at all with the home run hidden? I think he's just naturally like such an incredible hitter. Like a lot of his power is generated. He's got great bat speed and he's got a great eye, which uh, has, has faltered on him a bit in previous seasons. He's still working things out, but just the mechanics of his swing. And he's kind of got that like natural power, you know, that like grown man strength that just some people have versus others. Like I have none of it. Um, he's got it. And so some of the home runs he has been hitting have been like the hardest and furthest hit in like among the league leaders. I think he had two or three of the top 10 last season and he didn't hit that many. 
Um, so I think him slimming down, he probably lost a tiny bit of muscle, but I'm sure he like maintained a lot of that muscle mass. And now it's just lean, like wiry strength. Uh, he's still a big dude, but I think he's just going to be crushing bombs and it's going to be taking less of a toll on his body. I think this is going to be a really great season for him as long as he can stay healthy. So some of the things I want to see from the position players, I talked a little bit about the young core, but we're going to need to see some offense from the catcher position this season. Uh, the defense has been solid from guys like Danny Jansen uh, and Reese McGuire, but we would like to see a little bit more production. They're probably anyone who's catching is probably going to be in the nine spot, which is better because our lineup's going to be so deep this season, uh, but definitely going to need a little bit more on that side of the ball from Danny Jansen. Uh, that's why Alejandro Kirk got called up and, and he is projecting to be a pretty solid hitter. Um, so hopefully we'll get some offense out of him. And then Reese McGuire, you want to expect more offense? I won't. I think he's still going to be around a 200 hitter and and not, and obviously when you're playing once every four or five days, you're not going to get into a rhythm hitting. So I can't have high expectations for him, but maybe a left-handed bat that can get a couple of key hits at some point during the season. That's all you can really ask out of him on the offensive side. Infield versatility uh, is something that the Jays experimented last year and is going to be a big thing this year. You've got a bunch of guys who can play a number of positions in the infield. Kevin Biggio, you could probably put him anywhere on the diamond uh, except catch, and he'd be good at it. Uh, he's played some right field. Uh, Montario says he's our everyday third baseman, yet to be seen. He's played some first. He started at second uh, for us when he came up, so... Definitely a guy that will get a ton of looks at a ton of different positions, but third base is the spot of need right now. So that seems like that's where he'll be. You've got Marcus Semyon and Bo Bichette who can play either position up the middle. Uh, Joe Panic, Santiago Espinal are solid defensive replacements. Uh, like get a little bit more hitting out of them, but if they're your off the bench defensive guys or pinch runners, something like that, you can't really complain. Uh, and then Vlad could play first or third, which might help. Uh, balance out the lineup if we need to run him at third for a game and have Rowdy Telez at first. So just uh, interesting to see what sort of versatility and how Montoyo adjusts his lineup based on guys playing different positions in the infield. Same thing with outfielder. Uh, I love how deep this outfield is. People are talking about needing to trade guys to make room for Springer, but if you have the more, the merrier. We've got kind of a big four outfielders who can all mash with Lourdes Gurriel, George Springer, Randall Grichuk, and Teoscar Hernandez. All four of those guys you would hate to face at the plate. Um, I think, honestly, the odd man out is, is Grichuk at this point, which is bizarre because they gave him an extension before last season. Um, and then, obviously, Kevin Biggio can go out there in the outfield as well. So a bunch of different options for Montoyo. I'm looking for Teoscar to have a similar season because he had such a great approach last season that helped him uh, win a silver slugger. And Guriel, always an adventure in the outfield with him. He made some crazy highlight catches, probably because of misreads. But uh, again, a guy who, when he's on a tear, absolutely torched it during the, the late half of the season last year. And so hopefully we can get some production out of all these guys. And then I'm just so excited for Springer. He has come in already uh, showing guys different approaches, He's a guy who has a growth mindset, who's going to teach these young guys a lot about being a pro. And um, he's going to bring so much value to the team, him and Marcus Semien, uh, both on and off the field. So I'm really excited to see what George can do. Uh, hopefully he plays on Sunday because I'd love to get a look at him. 
And uh, yeah, that this roster, as it's constructed right now, I think will look very different by August, whether through trades, through injuries, through call-ups, whatever happens, but it will be fun. I I think this season is going to be really fun. The Jays are starting in Dunedin. I don't know where they'll end up uh, because in those hot summer months, I don't think you want to be playing too much outside in Florida, but uh, should be really, really fun season full of lots of potential. Uh, Feels like the, the Leafs years of, of a couple years ago where not a lot of expectation, but a lot of excitement. And uh, yeah, this Jays team just has the deep prospects like a Groshans and Austin Martin, uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, uh, Alex Manoa, that just hopefully they'll be able to compete for many, many years to come. And this is just the beginning. I guess with the Springer sign-in, you can almost directly uh, place it on the Leafs timeline as uh, the same point as the Tavares sign-in. If you had to pick one thing you're most excited for, could you? Oh, man. Uh, I think I'm most excited to just see, like, the one day when Montoyo decides, okay, we're going up against a left-handed pitcher, and I'm going to stack all of these guys. I don't care about balancing the lamp. I'm just going to make this the absolute gauntlet for the pitcher. So you've got like your best hitters up and down through the order where Alejandro Kirk is probably the your ninth hitter and he can absolutely mash because uh, it will just feel like those those Blue Jays teams from 2015, 2016 when you had Bautista and Carnacion. Just like every plate appearance, you think the guy is just going to take the dude deep or just keep the lineup turning over. One of the things I loved about this team last year was there seemed to be less focus on hitting the deep ball and just turning things over to the next guy in the lineup, which is how you have those big rally innings. And this offense is just going to be so, 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 so fun to watch. Uh, And I think Jays fans are going to fall in love so that you're excited for live music. I'm excited for live Blue Jays events, man. They just, the atmosphere is different. We talked about it before because it's in the summer and people are just in such a great mood and you can fit more people in that arena than you could at, at, at the Scotiabank arena. You can get 50,000 fans in the Rogers center and just the vibe is incredible. The energy is palpable. Uh, and I can't wait until we have that back. Yeah. When the demolition, is it scheduled yet or? I really don't know what the plan is, but yeah. They're going to have to eventually, if it's A, allowed back in Canada, and A, they're allowed to, and B, allowed to have live fans. Once they find a spot for the Jays, the fans are going to come in droves, and I hope I'm going to be one of them because it's going to be so fun to watch this team. <laughs> All right. All right, that wraps up my spring training preview, um, and we'll take a quick break and come back for some combat corner. And we are back for some combat corner. Max, give it to me. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I with the COVID season, you just have so many fights that fall off due to like I think sometimes even a cornerman testing positive or a coach or a contact tracing or it's like an asymptomatic bout, a false positive. So sometimes the fights will just kind of get pushed around like one two weeks back and it'll cripple a card, but it can also stack a card. And I think this is one of those cards that as of yet, I don't know, the weigh-ins haven't happened. Uh, you never know what's going to happen on a, like the day of, because we've had some crazy ones. But as of right now, nothing's been canceled. So fingers crossed that this one stays as is on paper. 
because it's pretty deep and some consequential exciting matchups i've chosen five to go a little more deep on first off the main event Rosinho rosenstrike versus cyril bongong two very similar fighters at heavyweight like as technical as they come both coming from kickboxing um competition with Rosenstrike traditional kickboxing Cyril Gon coming from a Muay Thai background where they both had a lot of success both entered the UFC and kind of tore through the heavyweight division earlier early in a little different fashion uh, Jorzino Rosenstrike did it with tremendously terrifying power and gone a little more technical, a little slower, but I'd argue just as dominant and maybe slightly more impressive win in uh, Tanner, the Canadian heavyweight prospect. And then Rosenstrike uh, has gets earns his big moment against Nganu with that crazy last. 10 second knockout of Alistair Overeem and then Nganu does what Nganu does gets a bounce back fight against JDS ends it in the second round Cyril Gon on his own timeline earns a shot at JDS and similarly ends it in the second round consequentially I think this matchup is pretty big um, I would like to see the winner fight the Curtis Blades, who just lost to Derek Lewis, which would a win over Blades would, I think, put them kind of right near a title shot because they'd be on a nice three or higher win streak at that point over big names. The fight itself, I don't have the highest of hopes for. Typically, when you get two guys like this it's going to be a kind of chess match a waiting game both these guys like to counter strike make the opponent misstep and then make them pay for it establishing a safe distance and winning the fight from there and i mean heavyweight you never know one punch can end the fight at any time but I think the knowledge of that and the stakes of that and the fact that they have 25 minutes to find that one punch means both guys are going to start slow. Um, both very technical counter-strikers. Gone with the Muay Thai background, a little lighter on his feet, more prone to switching stances. Uh, Rosenstrike a little less bouncy in his approach, just kind of tries to slowly move you forward. A lot of his success, most of it, honestly, has come either counter-striking guys who are charging in or when he manages to back his opponent against the cage. Had Overeem against the cage when he finished him with like 10 seconds left. Uh, JDS, he backed against the cage to find that finish. Even Arlovsky, he backed him against the cage, landed a couple power shots that I think like sparked Arlovsky into urgency, which caught him charging into that left hook. But then he's also just power. I mean, that jab that uh, he knocked Alan Crowder out with was just a textbook left-hand jab, but big guy, te very technical, just knows how to generate power with that frame. Cyril gone little more varied in his approach 
like I said, he likes to switch stands. He takes his time, stays out of danger, and just kind of neutralizes the opponent's offense first and then gets to work. The When the finish presents itself, he's happy to take it, but a little less of that, like, branded heavyweight knockout power. It, it not the same as, like, the jab and left hook and just, like, wind-up bomb that Rosenstrike has. But I mean, you saw with the elbow he placed against JDS, if he gets you into a bad position, he's more than happy to capitalize. And in more ways than one, I mean, he had that heel hook victory, which I think was raised some eyebrows about like, okay, what are we going to see in the game of uh, gone going forward? Like, oh, you're a jujitsu fighter now, but he's stuck mostly to striking. I'm curious. I mean, Overeem had a fair amount of success against Rosenstrike grappling so i'm and with the muay thai background i'd think on gone a little more happy to go to the clinch a little more experience there so i'm curious to see if he tries to initiate clinches if he tries to get takedowns from there just to mix it up give something different we i talk a lot about how when you have two grapplers it often turns into a striking match maybe with two strikers they each go well, I, I think it's an easy path to victory on the ground. I'd expect that a little more from Gone and Rosenstrike, but you never know. Just an easy way to bank a round or two if you can get it there. Uh, yeah, so I'm expecting like a fairly slow pace, a lot of space, footwork, circling, fainting, trying to draw the other out. I'm looking to see the Muay Thai stance of Gone kind of how that counters the leg kicks of Rosenstrike. I'm looking to see if Rosenstrike can get gone backed up against the fence. No one's really been able to do that. Uh, will there be any grappling? And lastly, how does gone hold up over five rounds? He's a fairly like sculpted muscular frame. And sometimes that build doesn't do well over five rounds, but I do think when you're as technical as him and as, conservative or measured efficient i i don't really foresee that being an issue but you never know um i mean rosenstrike already proven he absolutely has power up until the last second of a fight so should be a consequential main event i would recommend like a measured um cautious hype for it I, I don't think it's going to be like a barn burner of a fight but i think you just have to go in with the right expectations and it will be enjoyable arguably greater stakes in the co-main event between nikita krilov and magomed ankalaev because the light heavyweight division i think is a little more wide open than almost any division right now with uh, the title being fought up for grabs when coming early March. Is that next week? I think it's two weeks from now when uh, Izzy and Jan go to fight. So Nikita Krylov, in his return to the UFC, has only lost to two guys, Jan Blahovich, the current light heavyweight champion, and Glover Teixeira, the current light heavyweight number one contender. That's if you had to pick two guys in the division to lose to, the champion and the number one contender is the best you can do, really. So 
that makes this matchup really interesting to me. Magomed and Kalaev hasn't getting his first opportunity at like true long-time tested like top 10 talent so far other than that like Paul Craig last second comeback which I love to think and talk about so much and Clive has looked phenomenal most of his wins coming by finish I thought he had the saga with Ion Kutaleba which he settled and devastating decisive fashion before that he really got on my radar with that front kick finish he had so really technical powerful striking from him uh, able to be patient enough to just pick a perfect shot and when he lands clean he really lands I'm curious if he Krilov goes to the grappling because he's really kind of made a point of emphasis of taking like a versatile approach, but then hammering it in where he thinks his opponent's weak. He saw against Johnny Walker, he wanted to do nothing but grapple. Against Glover Teixeira, after Glover kind of outgrappled him in the first round, he was like, okay, let's try and strike. That didn't go great for him, so he went back to the grappling. So just well-rounded game that comes from being at the highest level for so long he's able to test you out in different fields and when he feels like he finds that advantage where you're weaker than him that's where he's going to keep the fight and dictate it so just really interesting with a guy like Ankaliyev who's taken his time and polished his game after that upset against Paul Craig and now we're going to see like how high of a level has he brought it to because I think the winner of this fight is in a position for like a top five matchup against like a Yuri Prochenezo or uh, I think you've got Dominic Reyes fighting him. The other guy's name is the guy who beat Anthony Smith earlier this year. His name is drawing a blank on me right now, but I think top five situated can Ankaliyev keep the hype going or is the longtime veteran top talent of Krilov going to find a hole is it going to be grappling Krilov is going to lead on because Ankaliyev has that like Sambo Russian base so bad bad takedowns are going to get him in trouble but the jiu-jitsu game is there for him if he can make it a grappling match that's probably his biggest advantage on paper in submissions but if he plays that game too riskily he's gonna end up on the bottom of some nasty ground and pound also he threw a lot of like open kicks open hooks against uh glover so i'm curious if the accuracy and timing of ankle can make him pay a little more than glover did but should be a fantastic coming event Kind of similar to Nikita Krilov's record is uh, Jimmy Rivera, who's up in this next fight I want to talk about against Pedro Munoz, in that his losses look a lot better in hindsight than some. I mean, he's lost, I think, three of his last four, but they're against like the top, the peaking Marlon Marias when he was on that crazy finishing streak, and then Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan, who are going to fight for the UFC title. He kind of had a, I guess he's lost uh, three of his last five, maybe, because there was a win against John Dodson in there. 
his last fight against like the surgeon Cody Stamen, he made a statement of like, you guys, I know my record doesn't look great, but I'm still a top five talent in this division. Don't sleep on me. And I mean, just kind of dominating Stamen. And I think his strength is his versatility. He just does everything at a relatively high level, uh, whether it's the wrestling, whether it's the striking, if he's going to box, if he's going to kickbox, he's got great footwork. And I think that's going to be pretty favorable to him in this Pedro Munoz matchup because Munoz is a much more, uh, I guess, spear-like in a couple things really, really well. He's got that crazy right hook with like an overhand that just has so much power if he can land it. And then he's got fantastic submissions if he can bring it to the ground. But I think in this kind of matchup, that's probably going to favor Rivera in that he's got the wrestling to negate the takedowns of Munoz and he's got the footwork and the striking to be on the lookout for that right hand and then and just make him pay the rest. I think the going to see kind of similar to the Munoz-Edgar fight where Rivera just has the circling, the fakes to draw out and escape the pressure of Munoz and make him pay enough to win rounds. I mean, Rivera was kind of, the Yawn fight was incredible to watch because he was like, he kept winning three, four minutes of the round and then getting clipped right in the last minute. But if Rivera can put together a little winning streak, I think people will look and Yawn still remains the champion. He would be an interesting contender based on the back and forth of their first fight. So looking just footwork and versatile striking of Rivera to draw out the kind of bullish fighter in Munoz, make him miss, make him pay. Um, really high level fight at bantamweight. And I'm happy this one's happening after getting canceled a couple weeks back. Next fight I want to talk about, Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. Not the most consequential of matchups in women's strawweight, but the most interesting women's division, Angela Hill kind of reinventing herself in like a cowboy-esque fashion over the past year and a little more, just taking so many fights. And she just kind of ran through like the bottom middle of the women's strawweight division in like quick, decisive, dominant fashion and in short time. And that earned her a opportunity to take a crack at like the higher peaks of the strawweight division and both times she was one judge's scorecard away from in one round from getting her hand raised and I don't know I I had Michelle Watterson beating her in their excellent main event fight earlier this fall but the good day fight I did kind of think she won so now she's back in that position she was at a year ago where she's fighting these more like bottom middle women's strawweights in Ashley Yoder. So for Angela Hill, you've got things. She's got a chip on her shoulder to be in this position and she wants to get right back at taking another crack at the ranks. It's her fight to lose. Um, Ashley Yoder nicknamed the spider monkey kind of makes it clear what she's going to try and do. 
the Angela Hill's the easiest path to victory against her is to put her on her butt and make her grapple with you. But Angela Hill knows that, and especially since her loss to Randa Marcos, has done pretty good work in her like jujitsu defense, wrestling defense game. I mean, Gadelia only able to get her down once, but once she got her down, she was able to keep her there. So I'm just going to be looking for can Ashley Yoder find a way to take Hill down or is Hill's defense too good? And then can Hill just kind of put like a dominating, brutal boxing, kickboxing pace on Yoder and make a statement about where she belongs in this division? Last fight I got my eye on is the prelim headliner, Alexander Hernandez versus Tiago Moises in the lightweight division. Always fantastic fights when you have guys with wins in that division, just probably the highest level of mixed martial arts you see in the UFC. And it's hard not to make interesting matchups when you match guys up like this. Uh, Tiago Moises on a fabulous run right now just looking like his game is coming together. Uh, super versatile threat. He had that crazy leg lock finish against Michael Johnson months back in the summer. And then he showed some really great stand-up against Bobby Green more recently, which if you're a jiu-jitsu guy and if you're competing at the lightweight division, you need that stand-up kind of like Carlos Diego Ferreira, like, just need to be able to do everything at such a high level and that's what you're seeing with Moises the game really rounding out showing great kicking great striking defense and wins like the one he had over Bobby Green are what you need to climb your way to the top against him and Alexander Hernandez you had a guy who was kind of in Moises's shoes a few years back and has hit some setbacks but Maybe he's turning a corner himself, looking kind of like a return to form with his last fight, that very quick knockout. Um, the wrestling background of Hernandez kind of favors him to not get taken down and negate the grappling of Moises. The How much pressure he comes out with is going to be really interesting. That's kind of when he's at his best when he's just walking forward putting like a crazy pace on you because he's got that cardio I'm not sure if he's gonna want to clinch and grapple with Moises a risky proposition always when you're uh, facing someone with as high level jujitsu as Moises I mean Bobby Green was able to not get submitted and negate most of the attempts pretty easily so be an interesting test of Hernandez's confidence if he does want to kind of put like that clinchy, grapply, grindy performance like he had against uh, Oliver Aubin Mercier years back, or is he gonna just trust the hands and try and make it more of a striking match? I'm gonna be curious to see the approach. Um, curious to see the improvements. Just like I said, you can't make matchups against guys on with wins in this division and not have it be compelling so that is the last one i wanted to highlight should be a good one overall great card like i said i i know the munoz rivera fight one example of 
one falling back and just landing and blessing it with a little more. I'm not sure if any of these other ones were like suspended and pushed back. Uh, Rosenstrike Gone, I think, was made on relatively like one and a half month notice or so as a main event. So maybe another consideration for cardio there. But I think they'll be uh, measured enough to not like gas their arms out, swinging and banging. But I'm excited to see. Uh, looking forward to it. And Monday will be there to recap it. Till then, we're going to take a quick break and then come back to talk, I think, some basketball. And we're back to talk some basketball. Owen, what have you got? Yeah, so let's start uh, quite a few days back because uh, it's been a while since our last pod. But uh, the first bit of news I want to get to is DeMarcus Cousins and the Houston Rockets agreeing to part ways. Uh, he clears waivers. He's officially released and a free agent now for any team that wants to pick him up and, and some of the key uh, possibilities for him looking at the Lakers, the Clippers, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and then you've got some outside teams like the Raptors, uh, the Trailblazers and the Warriors. Um, from a Raptors lens, I, I don't know. He definitely has some skills that, we are lacking on our team. I just don't know if he is the guy that's going to move the needle at all for the Raptors in any regard. Uh, I would have loved to have seen them be in on Jared Allen when he was available in that blockbuster James Harden deal. Uh, besides that, I, like Cousins is a guy who's probably going to come into a game and give you eight to 10 minutes at the end of your rotation. Uh, he'll shoot a couple threes. He'll play make at, at the elbow or the top of the key. Um, He'll set some decent screens just because he's such a big dude, but he's nowhere near what he used to be as a player. Um, so any of these teams picking him up are looking to do it based on what they think he can be ceiling-wise. Um, I think a desperate team could be Golden State just because they have no size. Uh, Wiseman is not there yet in terms of development. He's got the potential to be fantastic, but uh, their center position could use a little bit of playmaking and maybe a little bit of shooting uh, to help space out the floor for some of their other guys. Uh, they've been running Draymond Green or Juan Toscano Anderson at center uh, now for quite a few weeks, um, and that's been okay. But at some point, like rebounding really kills you in the playoffs when things slow down, and so it would be nice for them to have a bigger presence. Uh, and if he can shoot, then that allows him to space the floor for, for Steph and Draymond to do their thing. And Draymond isn't forced to have to spread it out and, and shoot from the five position. So that could be a good spot for him there. And then, I don't know, it seems like the Lakers and Clippers are in on any buyout guy just because it adds to their depth of players who they can throw on at a different time with their stars. So obviously he, there's a possibility there. And then, uh, we know that DeMarcus Cousins and Kevin Durant are pretty close, and Brooklyn, of course, is looking for a center right now. I don't know if DeMarcus Cousins is the right guy. Uh, I think the Nets need more of a rim protector, um, so we'll see what happens there. He's definitely a possibility, but uh, it'll be interesting to follow where he goes because some team is going to want him and pick him up. Uh, I just don't know how much he's going to move the needle for one of these teams. Uh, because I don't just I just don't know if the, the it's gonna have to be a pretty good skill set fit for him to really provide some value to one of these teams as a buyout guy. 
And you've got to think all the teams that are really in the market for a center right now are talking to the Cavaliers about Drummond. So maybe we see Cousins signed by one of these teams after that business is settled, one of the losers or the people who miss out on Drummond. Not just Drummond, JaVale McGee as well. The Cavaliers have like a bajillion centers, so uh, they corner the market. I think most of the teams aren't going to trade anything for them. They're just waiting for them to buy them out. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I, it's hard to, again, it's hard to see what else is out there because so many teams think that they're in it. Uh, and so pretty dry for now. We might see if anything happens as the All-Star break gets closer and closer. Uh, I think it's a week from Sunday. I think it's the 7th they play the All-Star game. So, uh yeah, getting really close, and I think a lot of trades will happen over that break. Moving on, uh, we had the All-Star Reserves announced. Not a ton of surprises. Uh, we initially had Devin Booker getting snubbed, which uh, LeBron obviously was not happy about in his tweet, talking about how he was the most disrespected player in the league. Uh, he then gets in as a replacement for Anthony Davis, who will not be playing due to injury. Uh, so <laughs> Booker gets in. And takes one person off of the snubs list. But I have the snubs list right here as Mike Conley, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Middleton, uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Demonis Sabonis, and Fred Van Vliet. You could throw Tobias Harris in there as well. Uh, I think Conley has a gripe. He, in an interview, said maybe if the Jazz had started 30-0, and 0, um, I might have made it. It seems like I, there's not much more I can do at this point. Uh, so we've got to feel bad for him because he may now go down in history as like the best player to never make an all-star team. Um, and then I think the other guy, the other couple guys who have a, a snide is Julius Randle gets in over Chris Middleton, Jimmy Butler, or Bam Adebayo. One of those three guys, probably you could make the argument over Randle, but uh, even like this last week, Randle really turned it on and just stat wise, in just the like standard stats, he beats out these guys. And I guess with a little bit of big market bias, the coaches decided to put the New York Knicks player in, maybe get some more eyeballs on the all-star game to uh, fill the wallets of, of their owners. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a minor conspiracy theory of mine. I think just Randall got in because of he's had a great season and um Butler Bam kind of detracted from each other's cases. Butler's been injured most of the has not played a ton in the first half. Just killed the Raptors the other night in the late game scenario, which was tough. But uh like they're both deserving. I just I guess Randall just had a greater body of work on the season as a whole. Uh and then Middleton, the Bucks have Giannis in there and he made it last year. So yeah, I again you could argue for any of those East guys. It was really, really tough. Yeah, I saw some people saying like Lowry probably getting a fair few legacy votes to split it with Fred and take away from his case. I'd, you have Sabonis as a snub as well. That also, uh, we didn't do so well on our East picks. I think the only one was Booker over DeRozan on the West pick, but uh, the East not quite as accurate, so... Yeah, the West was easier. The East, and then the last one we picked Trey Young. Uh, I didn't even oh. have him on my snubs list, but yeah, I, I think the coaches, especially, they look at 
this guy does not play any defense. It was evident the Cleveland Cavs game a couple nights ago where he does not even try and just gives up a free dunk to, what was it, Lamar Stevens <laughs> on the Cavs. Like, I, I get a guy I'd never heard of before that game gets the game-winning dunk uh, as Trey becomes a, just an open door for him to get to the basket. So it's tough when plays like that happen night to night for coaches to go, why should we pick you? You don't, you just put up seemingly empty. Obviously the offense in Atlanta doesn't run without him, but it's seemingly empty stats uh, compared to maybe a, a, a guy like, I don't know, like Ben Simmons or Zach Levine, probably the two that got in over him who contribute a little bit more to winning and do it a little bit more efficiently and just do more things. Uh, on the court so yeah I I wasn't I wasn't too surprised that Trey didn't get in when it's the coaches voting Uh, I know a lot of fans would be upset and he's gone on to have some pretty monster nights this week against uh, Boston in particular but hey that that's uh that's it he'll get his opportunity the east is so weak that a couple of these guys that missed out could have their shot again next year so uh yeah should be an interesting all-star game uh with the skills in the three-point contest happening earlier and then the dunk contest at halftime no rising stars challenge this year uh i imagine they'll just name the teams and then not play the game although it's not really an an honor necessarily to be a rising star they usually just pick first and second year guys to play a pickup game um it's not like a award or anything so who knows if they even do that maybe they'll have them play it out on 2k like they did with the madden pro bowl but uh yeah, so a week away from the All-Star game, and we got our, our list of All-Stars. And happy for some of those first-time guys because they have had great seasons and uh, should be fun to watch them play if, if they all decide to play. <laughs> you're gonna, you're not boycotting? Nah, I'll watch it if it's on. I just I think if they end up playing and there's no worries about COVID, that game becomes so exciting because the Elam ending – We remember it was one of the like last great, awesome sports moments before the pandemic with with Giannis getting deep into his stance, arms out wide, LeBron dribbling it up the court. It's like a one point game. You've got Spike Lee, Beyonce, Jay-Z, like all these massive stars on the sideline, all standing up, leaning in to get a look at what's going on. Like the energy was so high. It was the highest it's ever been in an all-star game, in my opinion, just because the competition ratchets up when you're playing to a score rather than just playing in time because you have to score to end the game but then you've got that pride as a competitor and so i think that's going to come out again in this one because they're using the same format uh so it will be fun to watch uh, at least that fourth quarter okay uh i want to move in to uh discussion of the eastern standings uh because the fourth place indiana pacers uh, I believe sit at 16 and 16. I know they're 500 for sure. I'm just not entirely sure of their exact record. Uh, and then I know that the Miami Heat in 10th place, the Pacers are 15 and 15. So pardon me. The Miami Heat sit at 15 and 17. Uh, so one game essentially separates fourth from 10th in the East. Uh, got teams all mashed in together in that uh, section and it doesn't feel like it's going to change anytime soon you've got teams flip-flopping each other with maybe a couple wins in a row a couple losses in a row but then they'll get back in it so 
Uh, it's going to be really interesting to follow this Eastern Conference as this mishmash continues to move in sync. It's it's like a peloton in, in the Tour de France. And uh, you've even got the Wizards now on a bit of a heater. I think they've won six of their last seven and have pulled themselves into the conversation as well. Um, so a huge glut of teams in the Eastern Conference, all like not great but they're there <laughs> and just no consistency in like who they're winning against and who they're losing to yeah. like some of them beating the best teams in the west and then like losing to the worst teams in the east or west uh, it's really hard to make a read on who's situated to keep the momentum they gather because it, it seems to come and go with like no determined consistency pattern or um findable causes and even like if one of these teams in this mix has a hot streak where they go eight and two or seven and three or 12 and five something like that then they could actually catch up to uh milwaukee whose record is kind of hovering just above that like lava pit of teams and uh yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out going forward. Uh, the second half of the season is going to be an absolute grind for most of these teams playing a bunch of games and not that many nights. That's just what happens when you have to shorten the season. Um, so I kind of am happy that no Raptors got named the All-Star team because they get a full week off to rest and recover, which uh, Kyle hasn't done in quite a few years. And I know him and Fred just play a ridiculous amount of minutes. Pascal Siakam was absolutely burnt out at the end of that Miami game. <laughs> Nurse had to rest him until there was like a minute left uh, because just he had no more legs. And that's what's that's what's going to happen when you're playing a bunch of games and not that many nights. So just another thing to keep an eye on. And then the last thing I want to talk about, just because it happened last night, uh, and he has been on an absolute terror, is Zion Williamson. Uh, I've already talked about it a little bit, how they've made adjustments. He's becoming more of a ball handler on the perimeter. They're setting a lot of small screens for him with like a JJ Redick or Alonzo ball. Uh, but again, last night against Milwaukee, like he, his like bounce is truly back. I think from what it was in college and he had to go through these biomechanical adjustments to his walk and how he was jumping and they tried to fix it so it could be more sustainable in the NBA. And like last night he was dunking everything. He got up for a fantastic swat on a layup attempt. Um, he just looks so explosive. Uh, and he's like, again, he's 60 games into his NBA career, not even full season. And he's figuring things out, but in his last nine games, he's averaging 30 and a half points. He's averaging six rebounds, four assists. You'd like the rebounds to be a little bit higher from him, especially when they go smaller on the court with Willie Hernan Gomez at the five, uh, he's shooting 68% from the field. Um, and the free throw percentage has gone up, which is really great because you know teams are going to start to foul him as he attacks the rim. And you can already see him bringing four or five guys to the ball when he goes to the rim and kicking out for shooters. Like, he's just a bowling ball. Um, so, so fun to watch him. And they played a really tight game against Milwaukee last night. And he is actually a bad matchup for him because of Milwaukee's defense where they basically sit the center back and give up mid-range jumpers. And so it was Zion going at a kind of a wall of defenders. He got blocked quite a few times, especially there was one critical. He got blocked late, late in the game, and it led to a Giannis dunk on the other end. But 
that's what's going to happen when you're when you're a kid still kind of working through early NBA stuff and to be as productive as he has been in a very short amount of time I just the this like the people were getting low on him because he looked chonky and uh, some of the weight issues, some of the athleticism issues, it looks like he's figuring things out and there's no ceiling on this kid. He's going to be super, super special. Uh, and so looking forward to continue to watch him and see if he does anything special in the all-star game. Maybe he'll pull out some of those dunk attempts he tried in the rising stars game last year that had people standing up and he didn't even uh, finish them. Maybe he'll finish them in this game. <laughs> so it'll be fun to watch him and uh, shout out to Chris Middleton who wasn't named an all-star, but really took over late in that game against the Pelicans and got the win for the bucks. That does it for me uh, for the NBA storylines. Um, looking forward to continue to follow this action over the weekend. Got some good games lined up on deck as we do every weekend uh but yeah it's been fun so far and this season's been really entertaining despite lack of fans and gonna keep breaking it down for you as we go along and we're back for some talk in hockey uh we will continue to break down the canadian division because that is the most relevant to us uh and we've had plenty of storylines over the past week uh leading off with the montreal canadians Tough, tough, tough loss to the Sens. Uh, questionable goalie interference call that overturned a goal for them. Brendan Gallagher was unhappy. Next day, uh, Claude Julien and his assistant fired um, as the Canadians have continued to scuffle. Uh, they, again, lost last night to the Winnipeg Jets 6-3. to They had a 3-1 lead. Um, and, uh, yeah, fourth straight loss. And, it's looking tough right now for the Canadians who, although are struggling, they've still got the Flames, Canucks, and and Senators below them. So they still have a really good shot at, at making the playoffs. But yeah, tough week for them. Yeah, it's the, I mean, hopes were so high in Montreal with the upset over the Penguins just as a boost of confidence. Bergevin goes out makes moves and early into the season it was looking like he made all the right moves and then it's not really clear what's fallen what's changed since then just started sliding and the the coaching change is just a hope for a reset like let's get a new mind in there someone else picking which guys to put out in which situations you're not going to change the team system overnight uh, Dom brings a really impressive winning record in with uh, his minor league background and some medals at the World Juniors. So just bring a different accredited coach in, a different mind, get the players like a new person to talk to. You had uh, Shea Weber making some comments about a bit of like bad vibes or energy in the locker room. So maybe a little similar to the Babcock situation, but all the more tougher when you had that early success and you're not sure what's going wrong price bit of a fall from grace from i mean no one's mentioning him anymore in the best goaltenders in the league conversation and it's been that way for some time now and i i don't really know what you can do about that situation other than hope he finds mid-season end of season form um leafs fans know stranger to having to wait a little on the starter to get going but 
yeah, it's, I mean, you kind of hope that for a turnaround or some new momentum after that coach firing and the Jets game, not a vote of confidence, but like you said, you've got three struggle, well, two struggling teams below you. We'll get to the third later in this segment. So the playoff hopes are certainly not dashed, but I don't know what the Canadians have to figure out. Yeah. Luckily they have Jake Allen, who is a very solid one B who could, you could run with for a bit if he gets hot. I think with Carey Price, the thing with the Canadians, and this might actually be to their detriment, is that it's always lurking that he has the potential to go on a crazy, unbeatable run. And he has earned that benefit of the doubt to be the number one guy. But if he is just having a off stretch, then you should run with your other goalie, but you can't because it's Carey Price. <laughs> so it'll be interesting what to see what they do with the goalies. Maybe he just does need... Uh, a bit of a bit of a quick rest uh, to refresh, and then he'll be back. But again, like it's Carey Price. At some point, he could just turn it on, and then teams don't score on him for like five games in a row. Uh, so something to follow. Uh, and they do need uh, a little bit of new energy to come at some point. So something to follow. Uh, another team that struggled obviously is the Vancouver Canucks. They've been really really bad, uh, but. Not much to say about them. More saying uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who are now 10-2 and two in their last 12 games and are have rocketed up the standings. McDavid, and, and especially, has been in another dimension, as I've already talked about. And uh, they are chasing the Leafs, and they're right there. Um, and it should be an awesome game on Saturday when these two face off. We already had Toronto-Montreal for kind of first in the division earlier in the season. Now we're getting Toronto Edmonton as the one, two matchup on Saturday. Uh, so it should be really, really fun to watch that one. Uh, and that once again, transitions me into the Leafs flames this week. Uh, the flames, another team that's struggling. They beat a Leafs team who had a bunch of injuries on Monday night and then uh, had one snatched from them. They were not the better team in either of those games, but they do get three points out of four somehow. Uh, they even should have had four if Willie hadn't pulled the win out of his wherever. Uh, but that was pretty hype. I was screaming for Willie because oh, yeah. he he really needed that. And, and uh, awesome, so awesome to have him score two in, in the span of the three minutes there. Uh, but yeah, the Flames continue to struggle. Um, they lose to the Sens last night, six to one, which is not good luck against an Ottawa team. So uh, the flames and the Canucks falling fast in, in the Canadian division. Yeah. I mean, two teams that had pretty solid uh, playoff performances going back last year, both making it to the second round and neither really thus far, even coming close to living up to that uh, tale of two Riddicks going from I don't know, 70 something saves being like the absolute difference maker. Like you said, I thought the Leafs were the better team in both games, but just struggling a little with the chemistry on the mixed lines and Matthews just having an off night, not uh, on Monday, not on. He had a couple shots that normally he just finishes that he couldn't, but very different. Dave Riddick, I mean, 
he was great on not giving up rebounds. He stoned us on every breakaway attempt he had and gave up goals on to both of those forms with the rebound and like a one-on-one against uh, Connor Brown. And then, I mean, I just groaned when I saw that softy, that uh, slap shot from behind the blue line. I mean, certainly was not expecting a week ago to have to go and play three games in like four nights. So I'm sure that takes its toll, but I mean, I was really interested in this matchup because both teams were coming up into it with some momentum. Like you said, Calgary coming out with three of four points against the Leafs, which was not expected. Uh, guys like Monaghan returning to the lineup, stepping up, and the Flames obviously surging after those two overtime pullout, shootout pullouts against uh, the Canadians. And they now have gone to win three in a row, which I know winning two in a row when they did it uh, off the last second goal against the Jets and then that comeback against the Leafs was like the first time they'd won two in a row in like well over a calendar year. So I wonder when the last time they won three in a row was. Yeah, I don't have that stat for you. I think you said Flames there. You're talking Senators, but uh, it, yeah, they, it's a team that it's fun to have, see them have success and I don't mind them winning games when it's against the other competition in the division because it just helps us out and obviously like uh, my girlfriend and her family are big Sens fans so it's nice when they are content uh, because it's less of a headache for me but um, yeah happy for the Sens because it's a team that's just your it's a look at what we have season uh, who's going to be the future moving forward. And, and if you can have a little bit of success in winning along the way, that always helps develop a, a, a strong culture. And I love that video of Stutzla skating by the, the penalty box with Kachuk sitting in it. And uh, Stutzla can't keep a straight face because him and uh, Brady are such good pals. And he's just laughing at him in the box. Brady's being a, a doofus. That's just, <laughs> they got, they got some good chemistry between their kids and uh, should be a, a team to look at in the next couple of years when, when they have a little bit more draft capital and, and prospects moving up the system, but nice that they're having a little bit of a hot streak right now. Everyone can take their turn in the North division and it seems like they're getting theirs right now. Yeah, for sure though. I mean, the Canucks and the flames would like to get in on some of that momentum and the Canadians would like to buy some of it back, yeah. but the Leafs and Oilers most consistent teams I guess so far with I think we can still say the Leafs most consistent uh knock on wood they haven't dropped two games yet where they get zero points hope to see that continue the matchup against the Oilers I think they've got the Canucks in there as well yeah I would I would also the thing is is like this the team that's been really silent and kind of flying under the radar here's the Jets they have two games in hand and they do sit at 12, six and one. So they could leapfrog the Oilers. Like they have the games in hand to do it. Uh, I think they probably are the second best team in the division, but because they have played less games, they're kind of just hanging out, waiting to make their move. But this is a team now with Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, in the lineup with Connor Hellebuck being a parental Vesna candidate, uh, a team that really is like positioned to make a run and the Leafs haven't faced them a ton yet. Uh, so that'll those will be some battles when those two teams finally go at it because this Winnipeg Jets team, you can't get them out. They're definitely hanging in there uh, 
for that second spot. Yeah, I mean, Laine who? Connor coming in and just filling the goal scorer role beautifully, not missing a beat, really. Uh, I think they're one of the two teams that have, or I don't know if they have both wins over the... No, I think just one win over the Oilers and so far splitting it. All right. Well, we have the Leafs and Oilers on Saturday. Uh, Austin Matthews, a lot of talk about this wrist injury, uh, which apparently has been plaguing him for the entire season, which is wild because he is on an incredible scoring pace, even despite this wrist injury. It worries me a little bit that he's playing through it. Um, it's the reason why we have in our notes here that Keith mixed up the overtime lines a little bit, went with Tavares and, and Marner for the opening faceoff because Matthews didn't want to take it. Uh, and then you had Matthews and, and Nylander go on afterwards and just a sick goal from Willie. But, uh, yeah, so something to look at. I, I'm, is, is I don't, is there an all-star break for this NHL season? I don't think so. Okay, that's that's a bummer because we could we could use one for Matthews to get that wrist healed up. I don't know if it'd be a break for Matthews. Yeah, that's true. Well, he could pull the injury card maybe and get out of it. But yeah, yeah, I I don't necessarily like that he's playing through the wrist injury. Uh, Something to keep track of as the season goes along because you had Rasmus Anderson kind of going at him a little bit, knowing he had the bad wrist. So you might see teams start to do this, which worries me just a little bit. Yeah, I that hit into the boards from Anderson also, I think, is what aggravated it to the point where he didn't want to take that face off. So, I mean, if it's been all season and he's looked this good, you kind of wonder maybe it's just going to be fine. But yeah, the, the injuries really feel like the only thing slowing us down right now. And like we haven't even gotten a look at what this team can do at its full potential which that's that's the game you're gonna have very few stretches where you have a 100 healthy lineup but matthews would be i mean is the biggest piece of this success right now so it would be the biggest loss although I, I was so happy to see nylander get a dirty one like on his knees pushing for it like that's the exact kind of play the knock on nylander is that he doesn't do that enough or just doesn't have the mentality to do that. So to see him do that, to get the confidence going, which is where the confidence needed to be to score that highlight hair goal. Uh, best of both worlds from Willie. Love to see yeah. it. Yeah. So we got the Leafs Oilers uh, afternoon game, Sens and Flames on Saturday. And then the late night game, uh, the Canadians and the Jets uh, in the Canadian division. So it should be a good one to watch on Saturday. The last, oh, sorry, go for it. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to move off of hockey, so if you have one last thing you want to say, then get to it. <laughs> the other, uh, maybe we'll talk to this more on another segment, but the Detroit Red Wings and the Nashville Predators starting to emerge on the market as sellers, so it'll be interesting to see if any of the Canadian division teams are willing to make a move on that to try and bolster the roster with a couple of pieces. Quarantine, obviously a big barrier, but something to keep an eye out for is anyone going to pull the trigger on like a Bobby Ryan or a Matt Duchesne or Philip Forsberg. (laughs) That's too good to be true, but it would be fun. All right. 
So now I will move off of hockey. I apologize for getting ahead of myself uh, and move into our final bit of notes uh, for the show. The Champions League continued this week uh, and the games kind of went chalk. Uh, Wins from Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, who looked not good in their game against Atalanta, but pulled it out due to an early sending off. Uh, from the referee that was a bit controversial and then Man City pulls out the win against Borussia Mönchengladbach uh love that name <laughs> Spanish or like Russian I couldn't uh, German they're in the Bundesliga mm-hmm. uh and <laughs> uh but the game of interest that I just want to talk about quickly was uh Chelsea's 1-0 win over Atletico Madrid uh and punctuated 1-0 goal scored by Olivier Giroud with a just beautiful bicycle kick uh, so if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Puts it right in the bottom left corner. Stunning strike uh, from Giroud. And and that was kind of the highlight of the week uh, in an otherwise kind of uneventful Champions League week. But uh, we'll be back for leg two in a bit and, and we'll have that covered for you. But that wraps up all the sports that I have for the week. Um, my PlayStation is on its way, according to my Best Buy tracker. So I'm really pumped to maybe get into some video games over the weekend. Max, you got any recommendations? Uh, not for video games. The Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, one year rematch, one year anniversary just came out. So both promotions released the full fight on YouTube, which I just rewatched the other day, which I would highly recommend to anyone for anyone to watch that was a big that mat, first matchup and the hype of the rematch is a big part of what has drawn me somewhat into boxing so if anyone's got 40 minutes to kill and wants to see two of the best heavyweights in the world or the best heavyweight in the world make his statement of identity on that i would highly recommend checking it out it was a very entertaining rewatch yeah. for me awesome well it seems like everyone's got nothing but time right now in the COVID apocalypse. Uh, but just want to make sure that you're spending uh, whatever an hour and a half hour of your time. If you got us on a higher speed, uh, listening to us, hopefully it provides some entertainment and want to thank each and every one of you once again for listening. Uh, appreciate the support. Uh, we've got some great YouTube clips up. If you listen to this and you've heard it, but if you want to see our beautiful faces, then you hop on YouTube, give us a like. Uh, and yeah, thanks so much for listening, Max. I'll, I'll leave it to you, my friend. Yeah, hopefully soon in the works, there'll be some music signing us off. But for now, you've just got to deal with the dulcet tones of Sports Next Door signing off. <laughs>